This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I'm Jo Stanley, and for years I woke up at an ungodly hour to do breakfast radio. These days, though, my lack of sleep comes from being a mum. Like most parents, I'm just trying to get through the day without yelling at my kid and laugh crying in the middle of the shops. And if I can juggle my career and still get my daughter to eat broccoli every now and then, I'm awarding myself Mother of the Year. I mean, we're all different, but the parenting roller coaster is the same. Sharing our stories of the highs and the lows is so important because it's a lot easier to enjoy this crazy ride when we know we're all in this together. Welcome to Mum Plus One, thanks to Red Energy. Great value electricity and gas, that's Red Energy. Why do people say change is as good as a holiday? Sure, if the holiday is a road trip in a minivan with broken air conditioning and three screaming kids in the back, change is hard. Even when it's something we long for, we can really struggle to accept the life differences it brings. I mean, remember what it was like adjusting to a newborn? No holiday there. And when the change is thrust upon us, or more to the point, pushed onto our kids, like the arrival of a sibling, the death of a loved one, parents separating, or good old coronavirus, of course they feel lost. That's a road trip without sat-nav. So how do we help our kids navigate change? I'm probably a really bad parent, but I have to admit, at the height of coronavirus lockdown, I gave up on all screen time restrictions. I mean, my kid was fed with mostly nutritious food. She did most of her schoolwork. We got her outside most days. So then if I didn't see her for the rest of her waking hours, I just stopped caring. I considered that my own self-care. I guess we've all done whatever it takes to get to the other side. And for me, managing all the things that came with the monumental change of lockdown, homeschooling, working from home, financial stress, missing family and friends, anxiety about the future, horrifically unwaxed eyebrows, I opted for the hands in the air approach. Basically, if it all got too hard, I gave up which is why most days our whole household was in pyjamas, binge-watching something, anything, by about 4pm. But what are we taking out of isolation to help us manage life's changes in the future? Because I don't think homeschooling was just for our kids. And if I've struggled helping my daughter navigate change, and she's one fairly self-motivated 11-year-old, how does a single mother of five cope? Today, I want to introduce you to my friend, Di. She's one of my greatest inspirations when it comes to parenting. She juggles working part-time, part-time study for a law degree, and raising five, yes, five children. Jess in year 12, Hayley in year 10, Evan in year 9, Chelsea in year 5, and Ben in year 3. Oh, and there's Murphy the Labradoodle as well. So, Di, with five kids, and I know they all have their own interests, they play lots of sport and maybe some of them have part-time jobs and all the school commitments. And of course, kids have massive social lives these days. How would you describe your family life before coronavirus? Oh, chaos. (laughs) There was (laughs) absolute chaos. There wasn't a night where you were home 
before probably 10. So you'd be working, flying in, doing dinner, flying out, older kids putting younger kids to bed for you, coming home late and then giving the older kids time to have you time. So time to download their day and have a bit of a laugh and a bit of mum time. And then, you know, by about 11.30, you've got a bit of me time. So it's chaos. They're in and out all the time. Football, soccer, basketball, like there's trainings and shooting practices and it's just constant in and out. And then you throw in the social life and the parties and the pick me up at midnight or 1am in the morning for the 18-year-old parties that were starting, which I'm not unhappy they stopped, by the way. Very hard. (laughs) um, I mean, I... Good on them, but wow, it's hard to stay up that late to bring them home. It's busy. Life is busy, really busy. I can't understand how you're able to have the emotional reserve for five children who all want a part of you, and obviously you feel like you want to give them equal amounts of you. There's days where I do want to do that, and there's moments I don't. Like I'm from a very large family. I'm one of seven. I grew up in a very, very solid, stable, loving environment and had a really great upbringing. And I wanted five kids. I wanted a big family. Um, No one ever really knows what they're getting into until you've you've done it and then it's just way too late. (laughs) But (laughs) it's not like you, you know, someone goes, bang, here's your five kids. You make adjustments with everyone that you come along with. It doesn't um, bother me. That kind of stuff is not something that registers as a hardship for me. I am really open with my kids. We have some great conversations now that they're teenagers, a lot of love, which I love, but I've always just been very open and honest with them and very direct. And we have a rule that if they ask me a question and I'm not sure they're ready for it, I just say, are you sure you want to know the answer? And then it's up to them to decide. And if they want me to go ahead, then I just go ahead and tell them. I don't know. I think maybe being one of a big family myself, I don't know. It doesn't really seem to cause me any stress having that many people at me. I mean, I do have my moments and my girlfriends will know that, as you know. But um, I have a lot of time for them. I kind of have a different mindset that it's not my time at the moment. I had my time up till I was 30. It's their time now until they're moved on and living their own lives and able to get themselves around and about. And this is what I signed up for and that's what I'm doing now. This is just what I'm doing now. You must have spent, before the lockdown, endless hours in the car each week. How much time would you have spent driving? Oh, a lot. Between myself and the kid's dad, a lot of time. Like, their sport, uh, I would say you'd be in the car two to three hours a night. Every every just, day, can't just you know dropping off. And so, so Thursday night was my worst night. I had two lots of training for the girls. I had soccer for the two young boys. The only person who didn't do anything was Chelsea. God love her in the car, just running around. And it was just a drop off, a pick up, and back home feed that one. Go back and pick the other one up. Sometimes there was multiple drops on the way. I did, um, my sister and my brother and my my mum were invaluable to me. They helped me a great deal when I got stuck. I'm very, very fortunate. I have a great support system and my kids just love their grandmother and their 
auntie and uncle and they love the time in the car and I find the time in the car invaluable. The kids just seem to open up and you just have to be prepared for what's going to come out of their mouth, which sometimes <laughs> is not really good. <laughs> sometimes you don't want to have those conversations. But I find that time really good. Like, you know, you're at home, quite often kids stay in their rooms or they're on the Xbox or they're, you know, Ben at the moment's all over Fortnite with his friends and all that sort of stuff. And you can be home with six people in the house and feel very alone. When you're in and out and you're driving, you get to find out about their day. It's kind of like a forced little bit of a catch-up that you get to have which with one child which you don't often get when you've got as many as what I've got. Whilst it's exhausting, you get to the end of the night and you go, oh my God, I just want a glass of red. I just want to sit down. What's happened before that has been, for me as a mum, really, really great. Like it kind of feeds my soul. I really do love having five kids and my kids, I find my kids quite funny and entertaining and I love being around them, so I'm probably pretty lucky. I absolutely love hearing that, which is one of the reasons why I want to talk to you because you're amazing. So what has then been the biggest change for you as a family when lockdown happened? Well, we have had a lot of change. So kids have been dealing with lots of things, dealt with uh, separation and a parent moving out of the family home and that sort of thing. So I think my family have had a different take on it and it's, just another thing that they've added into their life that they have to deal with. There hasn't really been a choice for anyone. It's not like there are other families or other kids out there who are going to school or regularly or who are socialising and you're saying, no, you're not allowed to go. It's been, I think, a lot easier from a parenting point of view that the whole state was shut down, that it's, it was applicable to absolutely everyone Whereas if it was just me saying, you're not going out because I want to protect you, I think I would have had a lot more pushback from especially the older teenagers who are quite sociable on the weekend when they're not at sport events. They just love going out and catching up with their friends. Because my kids are so sporty, and I'm probably not being very eloquent at the moment, but you take their sport away and it's like you've taken a limb off. Mm. And they, at the start, were quite frustrated and I would probably say a little bit angry that what they love doing and what their outlet is to deal with all of the other shit that they're dealing with is all of a sudden gone. You have had five kids at home homeschooling. How Mm. even have you managed the practicalities of that? We kind of got into a groove. There was a bit of frustration in the first week. Well, there was a lot with Ev. He found the whole thing to be just a little bit too challenging that first week. Ben has struggled the whole way through. Been a lot of tantrums, which I'm sure a lot of parents have dealt with. And let me tell you, doing grade three again has been the hardest challenge of my life the last <laughs> three, six weeks. <laughs> first, the first week, <laughs> he had this thing where he had to do head letters, body letters, and tail letters, and I just put my hands in the air and said, "I don't, I don't, well, I don't even know what that means. A letter is a letter. What is going on?" Chelsea, God love her. She said, oh, I know this is what it means. I've gone perfect. That's great. Makes me feel real dumb. The way they teach them now is completely different to how we teach them. We have a, a dining table in the, in the kitchen area, which has got six chairs around it. We started with four at the table and one in the office. And if they had a sack or they had a, um, 
the older kids had an online meeting that required talking to their teacher or their group of friends and they got the office so that everyone else could concentrate. Four at the table and I'm at the kitchen bench doing either work on a work day because I was working or my own studies. It's a beautiful thing to imagine that you have a 17-year-old and a 9-year-old working side by side. Oh, it's beautiful to watch. It's hilarious. And she, she's actually quite good with the kids. She always has been. But he just goes off chops when he doesn't want to do something that's on that list of things to do for the day. And she's just like, you're just nuts, mate. Just, just buckle down and do it because mum's not going to let you go anywhere until you've done it. There's like no computer. There's no fortnight. I don't know why you do this every day. It's like Groundhog Day. It's the same argument. Mate, you've got to sit down and do it. What I've found interesting is I look at all the parent-teacher interviews I've been to over the years and I'm like, I think they're lying to me. There's no way. There's no way. My child who behaves like this in front of my eyes can be so wonderful at school. It just doesn't add up, Joe. I don't get it. It's been really hard with the little ones. And I do not know, I'm so glad I don't have a prep one or two where you actually would have had to have sat down and done a lot of work. Like I've tried to push Ben to be a little bit autonomous, but he's just clearly not ready to do that. And he's teaching, you know, he's having a bit of a moment one day and we had a dial-in meeting with her. I emailed her and I said to her, um, it's Di, I'm finding grade three really overwhelming. We're struggling with this dream time story. Anyway, so she, she made contact through one of the meetings and she spoke to Ben and um, they clearly have well, a lot of chats, I would say, from the um, reaction that he had. And I just, I wonder, you know, you, you kind of think your kids are doing well and I really do just look at are they behaving in the classroom? Are they at standard? I wonder whether they're really telling us the truth about how <laughs> badly they behave when they're at And they've probably loved COVID-19 too. (laughs) Hats off to them. I don't know how they do it. And that's just my child with his personality. And they're in a room of 25. Mm, Yeah, I know. Gambit of personalities they would have to deal with over a day. Like the kids who are brilliantly smart and needing to be challenged to the ones who are struggling and, and just unable to process what's being taught to them. I, I don't know how they do it. I really don't. And I love the five that I've been doing. They don't even have to love them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether that makes it harder for us as parents and it's easier for them because they're not so attached to the kids. I don't know. (laughs) But I know I couldn't do it. So, Di, you mentioned probably way more impactful kinds of change that our kids go through. For instance, the separation of parents. How do you go about or how have you gone about these sorts of things? Do you sit down and have a conversation with your kids or do you find it's easier just to respond to their needs? Have you felt that you have to set the tone as a parent? I didn't and some people will probably think I've gone about it the wrong way and that's all fine and well. I don't really catastrophize anything for my kids. I sort of bounce off how they are and what they're thinking and their reaction to stuff. At the start, when it was all unknown and, you know, everyone was rushing out and stealing toilet paper and punching people up in the car park, (laughs) you know, their dad was 
very, very verbal, vocal about what was going on in the world and that you should be aware of what's going on in the world and buying masks and buying hand sanitizer and getting the toilet paper. And I don't necessarily react to things that way and never have. But I just um, didn't feel the need to sit down and go, this is DEFCON 10, kids, let's buckle down. You're not allowed out. You don't breathe someone else's air. You know, this is, we're all going to die. I just didn't think that my kids needed that given how recently the separation had happened and the move out of the home had happened. I kind of thought they had enough on their plate. They were dealing with going backwards and forwards between houses and which day am I with dad and which day am I with mum. And to me, I think those things are more stressful for them. I think they take their cue from the parents. And if mum's calm and not too worried, then... I don't need to panic. We have the ability to create an, an inner anxiety in our, in our kids because we know what we know. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they need to know what we know. And this for them in a couple of years' time will probably just be a blip where, yeah, I had to be at home for six weeks. I just didn't have the capacity to panic. We're not in war. We're not... We're not it's a different kind of world dilemma. I just couldn't get on that wheel of the world's going to end. It was like, you know, the season that it was like it was, you know, Armageddon. <laughs> like, you guys are batshit crazy. Calm down. I suppose for those people who do are aware of someone who has had it or got it or who died from it, their perception of the pandemic's obviously going to be extremely different to mine. My capacity at that time was I would just deal with things as they come in. Obviously your family and your kids are facing, well, it's an ongoing change. Now your lives are completely different because you've separated and that's a change yeah. that will continue forever now rather than with COVID that ends, you know, the, the, the isolation ends. So you mentioned mm -hmm. that kind of change. What sorts of tips have you got if we're managing ongoing change for our kids that really their lives are never the same again. What sorts of tips can you give oh. us having gone through that recently? Red wine. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of red wine. <laughs> I think kids are really resilient. I found that the kids were aware of the issues that we thought they were unaware of. So I thought we'd done well to sort of keep a lid on things and clearly we had it. I give my kids a lot of kudos and I give them a lot of rope when having conversations. I don't necessarily tell them, you know, things that are not of their concern, you know, money-wise and relationships between, you know, their dad and me and all that sort of stuff. I talk to them a lot about how, you know, people are different and how, you know, things affect people in different ways and people's reactions to those things sometimes cause a domino effect and they should be real mindful of the people in their lives and what other people are going through and be a little bit more tolerant of how people are behaving because you actually never know what's going on in the background of anyone's lives. And their lives will forever be changed. And um, you constantly are asking yourself, have you done the right thing? Is it better? Would it have been better 
to not do that sort of thing. But I honestly think that it has made my kids more resilient and um, able to deal with change better and able to adjust to things that just seem to come in and knock your feet out from under you. They kind of are able to have a look at the situation and sort of bounce back from that and look at things in a different way. And my kids are quite happy to talk about stuff. I don't know what it's like for parents whose kids don't speak to them. I actually can't imagine that or, at all. I can't. I, I would be um, lost if my kids didn't feel like they could talk to me. I would be feeling very like I'd done a, um, a disservice to them. But we've got, I mean, as I said, we've got the avenue they've got with me to talk is open. And I, I think my kids are different because of that. They, they're not afraid to talk to me about stuff. So I, I kind of figured if, you know, if they've got issues with um, the separation or with things that are going on in their friendship group or, you know, just took a pretty hard knock at the end, at the start of the year when she lost a friend and um, was the first person in her peer group who um, had passed away. And it, there's been a myriad of things for them to be dealing with, and it, it's not—it's not—it's um, not isolated. These things just seem to add on. It's just life, you know. There's things that you just have to deal with because it's just what's happening in your life, and there's no way to stop them from happening. And burying your head in the sand and not dealing with them is not an ideal way um, for your own sanity to, to deal with stuff and to sort of grow a little bit with everything that happens to you. I think everything that happens to people just adds another level of growth. I mean, I'm disappointed that my kids have had to go through these and haven't had the child childhood that I had, which was with a very loving, stable mum and dad. But I haven't felt that they're sad or, you know, are unable to find joy in life because of, you know, the situation that we've, put ourselves in so kids are really good at dealing with change I think as adults I think we sometimes try and navigate that change for them in terms of this is how we think you should behave and we're going to do this so that this doesn't affect you whereas I have found as my kids get older their feelings are their feelings each one of them has a different feeling towards each different thing that's happened. So, you know, they have different reactions and they have different levels of comprehension and and it's not up to me to try and mould them into a specific way to deal with stuff because they all process differently and they all have a different relationship with each parent and, and each sibling. My job changed a lot, Joe. I'm not in the, in, you know, down in the trenches doing nappies and bottles and all that sort of stuff. And it changes. I'm at the point where I'm trying to get them to be able to understand themselves and their reactions to things and how they could have done things better and, or how they could have looked at that differently and could they have looked at that from someone else's point of view and been maybe a little bit kinder or... A little bit more understanding. 
your perspective is beautiful. It's perfect. What I've gained from what you're saying is largely that we just have to let our kids be them and uh, do what we can to assist them to be the best version of that. We're the net. you just got to catch them when they fall. The more you try and push what you think is going on in their head and what, how you think they should be reacting, that's when I get the pushback from my kids. You know, you're not listening. And I try never to hear those words from my kids. I'm not really doing that very well, but <laughs> I, I want to feel like I do listen. But I think sometimes we do kind of go, yeah, but we can get you there a lot quicker if you'll just listen to what I say. But that doesn't help them. And I find, especially with Jess, she wants to work through this stuff. She wants to sit down and, and process it in her own time and, and come to her own conclusions about what, okay and what's not okay. I didn't speak to her um, about COVID-19 and she decided she was going to email Daniel Andrews and tell him just exactly what she thought about the whole situation. Well, good for you. If you feel that strongly about something, do it. All, all the kids are different and you just have to put a different hat on depending on which kids you're dealing with at the time and what they're asking for help with. Inspiring is die. I'm so lucky I get to chat with her like that every day at school pickup. But I tell you what, a hat rack like hers, I don't think I could do it. I'm struggling with my one very safe, calm hat. In a moment, we're going to hear from an expert, Professor Mark Dads, child psychologist, who can take us through how we as parents can help our kids with change. Talking to Di always makes me reflect on my own parenting. And here's a few things that I've learned that has helped me with my daughter, Willow, with not just the changes that came from coronavirus, but other probably bigger events in her life when our beautiful elderly Labrador Scout passed away and more recently when she started wearing a scoliosis brace for 22 hours every day, both events that absolutely rocked Willow. So firstly, listening to her, and I mean really listening, even when what she's telling me I've heard 400 times before, and even when I'm exhausted and it's close to midnight and I just want to go to sleep. You know, it's stopping what I'm doing, focusing only on her and actively listening to every word and the meaning between the words, which calms her eventually, (laughs) can take some time. But I don't even have to have an answer for what she's shared which is good because some things in life just don't have answers, just as long as she knows her feelings are valid and I care. The other thing is we always honour the ritual of the change. So life's changed, you know, it will be different from now on and she will be different and we like to mark that shift. We've drawn pictures and framed them or taken photos. Most of the time there's ice cream. We're a very ice cream oriented family. However we've done it, we acknowledge that the transition happened And it was a thing. You know, it wasn't the biggest thing in the world, but it was a thing. And she deserves to be given the space to get used to it. And then there'd be cuddling and music and dancing and me being a total clown until Willow laughs again. And then there'd be more ice cream. While I'm always happy to look to die for parenting advice, let's see what the experts say. Professor Mark Dads is a child psychologist and co-director of the Child Behaviour Research Clinic at University of Sydney, and he joins us now. Mark, can you tell us how important is it to talk to our kids about change before it actually happens, if we know it's coming our way? Well, some kids handle change very well and they, you know, just roll off it, but other kids' changes can be quite threatening. 
and um, you know creates all sorts of worries and concerns and so on for them. And and if you've got a child like that, you'll know because they they seek reassurance a lot. And so it's very important to just get into the habit of you know teaching the kid and and supporting the child to um, process that information in a calm, helpful kind of problem-solving way. And I suppose the other aspect of that is that children thrive to a certain extent on routine. And if they know what's going to happen, they know what the rules are, they know how long it's going to take and so on, they tend to cope much better and be much better behaved than when things are sprung upon them. So how would we know if our child is not coping? What kinds of behaviour do we need to look out for? Well, um, if we're talking about anxiety, the the first um, sign is, of course, is just the direct um, uh, expressions of anxiety, which can be everything from seeking reassurance. What's going to happen? Why do we have to do this? I'm, you know, I'm worried about this through to physical symptoms like tummy aches whenever they have to go and do something they're frightened of or headaches um, to uh, avoidance, of course, where they say they don't want to do it and so on. So these are the kind of direct anxieties, of course, expressions of anxiety. But then kids can also um, express anxiety through misbehavior so not all of them you know you don't want to be interpreting all misbehavior as anxiety but if a child is refusing to do certain things and and throwing tantrums and and becoming non-compliant and having meltdowns and so on sometimes that can be related to anxiety as well so the main things are their thoughts about anxiety and worries physical symptoms and then avoidance which often has those behavioural problems associated with it. So if our child has been well behaved and then suddenly out of character they're behaving or you know acting out do we interpret that as they're not coping or maybe they're just entering their teen years (laughs) because this coronavirus has gone on a little bit and some of our children have matured over the time. Well, I mean, that's a, it's a very good point is that children are constantly changing and things happen very quickly and they do go through phases where they, you know, who they were yesterday seems to have disappeared and they become someone else. <laughs> but, true. of course, if it's, if it's a dramatic change and it was quick, then, you know, I'd be a little bit more concerned about trying to find out what happened, you know, if there's been something that's provoked that. Um, is it a change going back to school is it really just an age thing? That one is a bit more tricky. I, that, that takes a little bit of de- detective work, um, I think, sometimes to solve those kind of uh, those dramatic changes. Well, I love that uh, description of parenting, detective work, because a lot of the time <laughs> you're trying to understand your child partly through conversation but partly through observation and reading between the lines. Have you got some advice for us on that? Talking to children, of course, is the first thing. That can be a tricky one to do. That can be a little bit more kind of um, challenging than it, than it might at first seem. Um, some parents will be really good at this and some won't be so good. And it's really good to work on this. So when you talk with children, the first thing is to ask, when do you do it? Now, if you in the middle of a crisis is not the time to talk. So if a child is having a meltdown or they're being avoidant or something like that or being aggressive, that's not the time to try and talk to them. 
the time that's the time to just try and deal with it, smooth it over, calm everybody down, do what you have to do, and so on. The time to talk about it is when when the kids are calm and later get the child on their own, mm-hmm. and then just just very gently raise the topic. And then practice what we call in psychology kind of reflective listening, which is it's the opposite of jumping in and solving things and asking questions. It's more kind of reflecting back what you're hearing the child saying. So it's a really, really positive listening skill. And if you've ever had it done to you, you'll know that it feels great. It's it's someone who shows you they're listening and they care. So if the child says, oh, I'm really worried about this, you might say, oh, I can hear you're really worried. Tell me more about that. So that's sort of active listening. So you're encouraging the child to express themselves, to problem solve and show on, and you're not being seen as a, as a judge and jury or someone who's just going, don't be silly. Come on, you've got to do this. You're actually trying to get them to uh, process their feelings and all that. And it's a really good way of investing the children, maturing and becoming uh, good copers. I think the key for that, because I have uh, over the years tried to learn this skill, and the key very much is to put aside your own agenda and also to be big enough to go, oh, that's a different point of view to mine and allow them to have that point of view. Yes, that's right. And for some parents, that's quite difficult. And um, it's interesting that, you know, we, we do want to jump in and we want to help them and save them and teach them and all that sort of stuff, which, which is fine. That's a good motivation. But, you know, one of the best ways to really do that is to just listen to them and let them to discover their own way of solving things. I've read a lot, particularly in and around coronavirus, but certainly when other changes happen for our children, whether it's the separation of parents or um, any other sort of changes that might be very alarming for them. I've read that as parents, we need to be calm. We don't want to catastrophize the issue. So what is the difference between letting them know what's happening and alerting them to the fact that there might be some really bad times coming down the track? Yes, that's um, that's a very good question, isn't it? Because we don't want to uh, be alarming them and that's very, very easy to do. So what we need to be doing is try and stay calm and just give information as calmly and as factually as we can and then giving time for the child to process it and ask their questions and just giving time to stay there with the child and and listen to their questions and allow them to process it. But as you say, each parent will have... uh, you know, their own way of doing that. But we don't want to be saying, look, I don't want you doing this. This is dangerous, you know, blah, blah, blah. We want to just go through and say, this is what will happen. This is what the risk is and so on. And then, as I said, give them time to process it. Is there ever a time in which we would say to a child, um, come on, buck up, you'll be okay, and try and distract them from perhaps them feeling not so great about it? Oh, I think without the without distraction, we'd all go crazy, wouldn't we? It's <laughs> just it's, it's funny because in in my clinic, we often say to the parents, you know, don't don't distract them, deal with this here. But there there are times when it's just it's it's so such a skillful good thing to do to say, I can see a problem coming here. And the best thing to do is distract them, get their attention onto something else at this point. So. 
if we're always just trying to distract them away from misbehaviour, that would be a problem because, you know, at some point we have to be parents and stand up and discipline them and so on. And that that's important. But if it's if they're minor misbehaviours or minor worries or minor anxieties, sure, use distraction, get them to focus their attention on on something else. Because, you know, we know in adults that is one of the top ways of coping with anxiety and stress is the ability to not pay attention to things, to move your attention onto things that, um, you know, that are pleasing and make you feel good and so on and not ruminate and focus on the negative. So if you can kind of gently child, teach the child to distract themselves like that and during threat, that can be a very positive thing. So then do we need to find a balance between honouring their feelings and a bit of um, keep calm and carry on? And that's exactly right. And what we call that, or the the term that psychologists are using now, is is called sensitive parenting. Mm. Um, and that is where you're not just doing the same thing all the time. You're going, I can see that what I need to do at this point is just do a quick little distraction, and my child will be okay. At this point, something's wrong. My child needs to set to um, to process this. So you sit down and talk about it. And when they are expressing things, when is the time to listen? When is the time to act and do things? And those those rules are very hard to develop. And it's a lot of it is instinct and getting to know your child and getting to know yourself. But if you can achieve that flexibility, I reckon that's that you know that's pretty fabulous parenting. Wow, I've set myself a big goal there. I've got to say, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if we you know, ever achieved that. It's interesting what you said before that. Um, about should you know if we get emotional should we warn them and so on one of the rules that we we often uh, try to empower parents with is to you when you get want to be passionate and emotional and all that is actually when the child is behaving really nicely and coping really well that's the time to get animated and emotional and passionate and engage with your child say oh look at what you did it's fantastic come on we're hanging out together and all of that sort of thing and when you're processing uh problems and child's inability to cope that's the time to stay really calm and uh and so on is it all right to share your own emotions, uh, fears, hurt with your child or should we be robots and not let them see that? Well, I think you've answered your own question, haven't you? We don't want them to, anyone to be a robot. We want we, sharing your own emotions is, and experiences can be really helpful. Again, we don't want that to dominate though. You know, if the child's concerned about something and you're making it all about you, that's not a really good idea. The important thing is to listen to your child and help to process their own experience. But as part of that, telling one of your own stories about how you were frightened of something or coped can be a really, really good experience for the child. And in and around coronavirus, I feel like we've done what we can to find the positive in that change. Certainly when our children were at home and also now we're finding a lot of positives in then going back to school. But there are some changes that are just really hard, like the loss of a loved one or separation of parents. Do we need to try and find an optimistic view from that particular change? Yes, that's a very good question. 
and change that's you know a real adversity or even a trauma or a loss or something like that is can be very very devastating for all of us um and we all go through stages of reaction to that you know um anger and grief and shock and then maybe even sadness and depression and so on like that but people that do get through change, negative change, and grow from it, will often say that they started to realize over time that there was some positive to take out of it. There was some growth that this offered an opportunity to. So I think that when really negative and awful things happen, that's where we're aiming to get. But you can't rush that. It's more of a phase thing. You've got to watch for the signs, you know, and when the person is starting to come out of the initial grief and shock and anger and so on like that, that's when you can start to process maybe there is some meaning that we can take out of this negative event that's going to help us go forward and make us better people in the future. So do you think some kids seem to be more naturally resilient to change than others? Oh, absolutely. There's a massive difference in children's ability to cope with change. Um, You know, if we we see um, children in our clinic who can just cope with constant, constant change, they're very happy with that. In fact, the thing that they have trouble with is staying on task and coping with (laughs) non-change, if you like. And then you get children that are anxious but find change threatening all the way to children that may have some um, autism spectrum features and so on like that where change can be terribly, terribly threatening for them. And transition periods are the periods in which they are most likely to um, you know, have a meltdown. And those are the children in which one has to prepare the child carefully, give them a routine, take it gradually and so on to allow the child to kind of uh, adapt to change in the best way they can. So just finally, what tips have you got then for parents who are leading their child through change? Well, if we take, for example, going back to school, which is just happening today, and you know, some kids will cope very well that and be very happy about it, and some kids will be quite anxious. So I'd say the the first thing is not when they're having a meltdown or when they're upset, when there's a calm time, sit down and talk with your child, just process it, go through, listen to your child, encourage them to problem solve. If there's things they're worried about, prompt them what solutions they could do, what you could do to help and so on. So set up a little plan. Um, if they really are still very, very worried about change, then I would suggest having a, and you've already problem solved, I would suggest having some little rehearsals, make it really fun and set up a, you know, a little kind of theatrical rehearsal of the situation. So you could have, let's plan what we're going to do on our first day back to school and just go through it and you can even act it out if you like and make it as fun and so on. Next thing, set up lots of lots of fun rewards and um, activities that are based on them coping with the change. So, for example, after the child after school on the first day, say if you cope and you you do okay, let's go straight to the park, get some ice cream after school, and so on like that. Um, and then 
all the thing, little things they're anxious about, like where the toilets are um, and, you know, what the teacher's going to ask them, you can rehearse those as well. Um, and finally, I'd suggest that in these difficult times, try and get the child to have a positive activity to take into the situation. So, for example, um, children like to think about what's the most interesting thing that happened to my family during the, the COVID-19 lockdown, for example. So they prepare some stories that they've got ready to take back to school to tell people about and so on. So they feel armed with some positive kind of um, little things in their toolbox ready to go during the change period. Well, that has been very, very helpful. Thank you, Mark. I have set myself a goal to be more of a sensitive parent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you're very sensitive. (laughs) I do my best, but we all fail. That's another podcast. And, you know, there's a a concept in psychology which is very interesting, which is good enough parenting. And that is, parenting is a really, really tricky uh, role and a a tricky job. And none of us are going to be perfect. We're all going to bomb out. But we know in psychology that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to do a good enough job, which is, you know, make the kids feel loved, give them some clear and calm discipline and uh, so on. And, you know, get to know each child and, and adapt to each one's individual needs. Be a good enough parent. I think that's a nice little expression. I love it. I'm getting a tattoo. Good enough. (laughs) Good (laughs) enough. Thanks so much, Mark. Okay, pleasure. (laughs) That was Professor Mark Dads, child psychologist and co-director of the Child Behaviour Research Clinic at University of Sydney. So, you know, as they say that one constant in life is change, which often feels like another way of saying, suck it up, buttercup, because knowing we can never stop change doesn't make it easier. And we're now in a world where not one of us can imagine what our lives will be like in a year or even six months from now. (laughs) No wonder we're all lying wide awake at 3am every night. But I reckon there's another thing we can rely on, and that is that we're all a lot more resilient than we imagine. And if we believe that, so will our kids. I loved learning this term from Professor Dad's sensitive parenting. It sounds kind of hard, but... Di's doing it instinctually, and I feel like if she can do it, then I can. So now I'm off to get my tattoo, good enough. I'm going to get good on those knuckles on my left hand, and then E-N-U-F on the other. Good enough. Thanks for listening to Mum Plus One with me, Joe Stanley. All thanks to Red Energy. Red Energy has great value, electricity and gas that goes beyond price. Call 131 806 today. And we'd love to hear about your parenting experiences, the wins and the fails. Jump onto my Instagram at RealJoeStanley and get in touch. And I'll talk to you again next week on Mum Plus One. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. Real estate, cooking, parenting, home design, plus the sport of gardening with Dale Vine. I never thought I'd say it, Jane, but compost is on trend at the moment. It is uh, <laughs> it is as cool as a hairstyle by Dustin Martin, I can tell you. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series, available wherever you get your podcasts and the SEN app.